Learn the most empowering hiring techniques. Land the most desirable talent. Launch your company towards massive success. This is the Higher Power Radio Show with your host, Rick Gerard. Hire slow, fire fast is a motto we've all heard as startup founders. Now, it makes logical sense, but what really happens is quite the opposite. As entrepreneurs, we shift into panic mode when we need to hire and quickly move fast to fill the role, completely missing all the evidence that this person will be a bad hire. So once the person is in the seat, the dread of having to refill the role often leads to concessions made to the detriment of the business. Hiring slow means investing the time to really make sure the person will be a strong hire. Therefore, there should be no need to fire fast, especially if you really understand who the person is and gave evidence of the value they add to the company. Think of each person you hire as being worth $2 million to the company. It changes your perspective, right? Now, a lot more care and a higher talent bar would be prioritized over just filling the seat. I'm Rick Gerard, and welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show. We help entrepreneurs and business leaders win the strongest hires. We do so by sharing insights from top-performing rebel entrepreneurs, game changers, and industry leaders like our guest today, Mr. Joseph Fung. He's the founder and CEO of Uvaro, which is a tech sales career accelerator, and of Kite, a sales enablement platform. Purpose-built to provide sales teams with information they need when they need it. Now, Joseph is a repeat founder and CEO with multiple successful exits and speaks frequently on the topics of sales leadership, diversity, and corporate social responsibility. Joseph is an expert in sales, startups, and building scalable culture, which is what makes Joseph the perfect expert for today's topic. Joseph, welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show. Thanks for having me, Rick. This is going to be a fun conversation. Yeah, I'm excited about it because we didn't put it in the notes, but what we're going to talk about is really how to stop sucking at hiring salespeople. So we're going to talk about why this is important to the company, and then we're going to talk about how to actually do it. Sound like a plan? Sounds like a great plan. There is this mentality, just hire a bunch of people. Hopefully some of them will work out. If some of them don't, that's okay. We put ourselves in this position where like, we're just burning a ton of cash by doing that. Oh, it's terrible. I mean, if you talk to any CEO, any VP of sales, and you ask them how hiring is going on the sales side, everyone roll their eyes. They talk about how it sucks. It's that unspoken truth, but the numbers are so gut-wrenching. The average sales professional at a tech startup, their average tenure is a year and a half. Let's forget the fact that it takes them eight months to ramp. You only have them for a year and a half and less than 60% of them actually hit quota. So yeah, I hear this all the time. Investors say, hey, we're going to hire 10 people, fire five, because that's just how it goes. And it's terrible that that's the status quo. Why would we approach it like that? That doesn't make any sense to me. Why wouldn't we hire five and keep five? Because people <laughs> suck at hiring. Is <laughs> a simple way to put it. I'm going to agree with you 100%. That's why I wrote the book. And that's part of the work that we do is really go in and help companies to run an effective interview process so they can gain evidence to support whether or not even to make the hire. Putting that aside, why should companies think about changing this mentality and putting themselves in a position of hiring the right way? Let's ignore all of the obvious things like, wow, if you reduce turn turnover and churn, you've got a, a healthier and more engaged workplace. Let's ignore the whole, hey, if someone sticks longer than a year and a half, they will just become more efficient over time. You know, ignore all that. If we think about brass tacks in a sales organization, like attainment and quota, and, and if you map it out, 
the average sales rep has a quota of about $750,000. And if you think about an eight month rent period, hitting 60% of quota versus what we see with more successful hires, you're leaving almost $350,000 of first year sales on the table. And so just like brass tax, you're right. You mentioned that earlier. Every hire is worth $2 million. But let's think about that year one, first year of hiring a sales rep. Wouldn't you rather have an extra $350,000 in first year quota attainment? That's the very real brass tax cost. And by the way, what I've experienced, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but like this whole sales recruiting process usually happens fast and fire. It's like hire fast, fire fast. Totally. Both and- sides of it. And more so, I believe, in sales than some other critical things like engineering or some of those places. It's totally it. We create this ecosystem of respect for a lot of technical hires. Hey, engineering is this hard thing. They're building the product. We're protective of the engineers, all that kind of stuff. But companies don't do that for the salespeople. No. Hey, you missed the quarter. You know what? Maybe that's not going. And then the next month you miss it and you're out. And I mean, it's not building a resilient culture, but it's also not giving people even the chance to succeed. You mentioned killing morale, and I think this is a really important point. When you hire a lot of people and you have to fire people, then people start worrying about their jobs. What if I'm only hitting 75% of my quota? Am I going to get fired? And then you create this downward spiral of now you're only going to hit 60% because of that. When you see your colleagues that you got hired with fall by the wayside, it's not a good feeling for anyone. No, at all. And we talk a lot about mental health in the workplace, and it's funny because we get all of these leaders who use all these metaphors for their sales team. Hey, you're going to quarterback your deals. We're looking for you know a professional athlete, all these metaphors. But we've just come off so many examples of how mental health and sports collide and being in a good mental state can yield so much more success. The same thing applies to sales. If everyone's panicked about their job, they're not going to perform well. Yeah, I think we were talking a few weeks ago about how sports is so much farther ahead than organizations because of the fact that they take the time to really use data and analyze people and understand where they fit and how they fit as opposed to, I just need a button to see. All right, you're listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. I'm your host, Rick Gerard, and for our podcast listeners, we're going to take a quick educational moment from our sponsors. Hey, check out stridesearch.com. There you'll find your link to order Healing Career Wounds, which is available now on Amazon. Let it be your startup secret weapon to winning the strongest hire. Our guest today is Joseph Fung. He's the founder and CEO of Uvaro. And we're talking about how not to suck hiring salespeople. (laughs) Let's delve into how we do this. Because look, we we can beat a dead horse and say why you should do it. But there's got to be an easy way in which we can put a system in place to where somebody could just plug into it and make it happen. Where would we start? It sounds silly, but the first thing I do is throw out your job description. Because <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> like, job, right, job descriptions and good. resumes are the, yeah, they're the best way to hire, right? Yeah, so <laughs> I joke about it and I laugh, but I'm actually very serious about it. If you look at most sales teams, their job descriptions, they've got two key things. Number one, you have to have done this job before. If I run a B2B software company selling to the mid-market, sure enough, my job description is going to say, hey, you've had two years selling B2B software to this market. So asking people to do the same job. And the second thing is that they're full of technical skills. Like you got to know Salesforce and or Pipedrive or HubSpot and Salesloft and Gong and this and that. And the problem is that that stuff becomes so irrelevant so fast 
you're selecting for absolutely the wrong criteria. So number one, I'd say is throw out your job description because you probably need to start all over. Well, let's break that down a little bit because what I see happening a lot is you don't have a job description. So you go copy a competitor's job description. You change some words around in the order of it, but it has the basic must-haves and all these things that you think that you need. You change it up a little bit and then you post it. And then you wait and hope that somebody magical, some unicorn comes across your desk. That job description doesn't attract the strongest people because it's the same job description as everybody else. So you're not differentiating yourself in any other way either. You're essentially just putting crap out there. It's crap in, crap out, right? <laughs> it is, and it's ignoring the market dynamics. Right now, today, there's under 100,000 B2B software sales professionals. So if we talk about tech startups, it, this is a great example. But over the next decade, there's another quarter million that are needed which means everyone who's doing the job right now is not looking to keep doing the job. They're looking to do the next thing. So you have to be looking for people who aren't doing the job yet. And the reality is that your tech stack doesn't actually matter. Every sales no. team's got 20 different tools and every year a quarter of them gets swapped out. So that means in a year from now, that job description's out of date. What you need is someone who can learn, who has a thirst to adopt technology and wants to adapt to your system, knowing your system will change. And today's job descriptions don't hit any of that. When you're looking for somebody who just fits in, who can plug and play, the problem is that you're signaling to the world that you don't have any sort of training. That's like, it. We're not going to foster you or grow you. We just want you to come on, do your job. And if you succeed, great. If not, oh, well. I'm so glad you brought it up because the second thing I would point to is that idea of training and enablement. It's so funny. We interview and we talk to sales leaders, sales professionals, and the top professionals, we ask them questions like, where did you learn to sell? And the things they talk about are companies like Xerox, Procter & Gamble. Like These are not the companies people, it doesn't jump to people's mind when they think about the hottest tech companies or places where they'd grow to develop, but it's actually where people learn how to sell and how to build those techniques. The reason people take eight months to ramp is because no company's investing in their actual development. If you invest in the training, they'll ramp in two months, in three months, and wow, the results are so much better. And you know what? To me, that's a failure along the lines of senior leadership, especially sales leaders. If you're hiring a sales leader, you should ask them what sort of training they have for onboarding newbies, new salespeople. You're right. There's a shortage. There's going to be even a greater shortage of salespeople. So you're going to have to get creative in how you find and groom people and bring them into your organization. It's not just about the lack of training content and processes, but the unspoken thing is also how you resource them from a personnel perspective. I see this with founders all the time where they don't even realize that sales enablement and sales training is a thing and they should hire for sales enablement, rev ops, things like that. And what ends up happening is they wait too long and they've got all of these underperforming professionals. And then by the time they bring somebody in, they've just got all this housekeeping to do and they can't actually move the needle for way too long. So this is the second point that we're touching on, which would be what? The way I tell it, it's not so much about the job description. It isn't so much about where you're looking in the hiring process itself, but it's about how you resource your team. Who else is in there? And a lot of companies that wait till they've got 50 sales reps and then they hire a sales enablement or 50 sales reps and then they get to, to rev ops. We're seeing more and more companies succeed by bringing that down to 30 or 20 and investing in that below. And if anyone's listening in, they're super skeptical. Like, why would I do this? I don't need this. Look at your engineering team. Chances are you're hiring someone in a DevOps style role way earlier because you know they're a multiplier. They make everyone more effective. And the same thing is for a RevOps and a sales enablement professional. So how early can you hire a RevOps person or enablement person? It's always that tension. I mean, 
everyone talks about the biggest way to kill a startup is to scale too quickly and, and to hire too quickly. And I, I recognize that. So I'm not trying to say they should be your, your first hire. But by the time you're getting to 12 people on your revenue team, you should be thinking about it long and hard about what's the right time to bring somebody on. And even before then, there are so many great partners that you can work with to get that kind of talent at a fractional basis. The challenge, what I found is it's generally less about, oh, do I do it at 12 or 15 or 20? It's just that it's not on people's radar until they get to 50 people or 100 people. And then they're in that panic mode you talked about earlier. Like, oh crap, I need somebody. And then they just hire the first person who's got a resume that fits. Yeah, and that should be when you start planning for it, that's when you start building your list and gathering names of people and maybe running a LinkedIn search and finding out who all your employees know because they all know your next hire or two. But it makes sense to me that you want to keep them productive. You want to get them to a point where they're able to hit their goals as quickly as possible. And if you bring in these rev ops and sales enablement, wouldn't that get them faster to where their goal is? It would. It would get them faster. But I'd also say it's a prerequisite. <laughs> we do this. We say, hey, I'm running a software company. I've got two people on my sales team. And I look at this other company that I admire. HubSpot or NetSuite and like, what do their sales reps attain? Oh, they do 750,000. They do a million. They do a million and a half. We should be able to do the same. And they completely forget that those companies have supported their sales reps with these layers of enablement and operations and tools and marketing. And if you think you can do that without that type of support infrastructure, you're setting yourself and your team up for failure. So it really is about the system and the expectations you put in place. You're basically, what, creating a scenario where you're expecting somebody to do all of their own work, cold call all day long, and hopefully they're able to close some deals. So the two pieces we have here so far is throughout your job description, choosing what and who to hire would be the second piece. What would be the third? The third one I toss, I love the fact you said that comment about people probably know who you're going to hire somewhere in the network. I'd actually push back a little bit on that and it push back that idea of, you got to stop relying on your gut and the stereotypes. And you're right. You may know the right person in your network, but if you search only in your network, it's going to reinforce that idea of your, your gut and the stereotypes. And we've all heard it. You know, that VP of sales who says, I hire people who did team sports in college. And, you know, that way they're aggressive and they're a team player and they're extroverted because they like talking to people. And like, that's how we're going to hire the right sales reps. And that's an assumption. No, it's not. That shorthand is not going to help you. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. So you want to eliminate bias as much as possible. What ends up happening, though, is people get referred in, and so they shortcut the process. Joe thinks this person's really good, so we're going to hire him just based on that. And they don't really do a full vetting on an interview. It's it. And then you end up with a team that all acts the same, engages people the same. And I don't mean that the sameness is inherently bad. However, we need to think about the fact that the world has changed. Your team is going to be selling to everyone, everywhere. You need to have people who can meet people where they're at, which means you need to have a strong diversity on your sales team so that you can interact with all the people you're going to be selling to. Absolutely. I know that I, from a sales perspective, I have a certain persona that does well with me, but mm -hmm. there's a lot of people that don't like me and I'm okay with that. <laughs> I'm okay with that. I've accepted that a long time ago, but somebody else in my organization can call them and they have a great relationship and completely different than me. That's exactly it. And you're right. If people just rely on that kind of shortcut, hey, I know this person and they're really fun. I like them at my last job. All we get is a group of people who likes hanging out with each other and that could be nice, but that's not what you need for a high performing sales team. That doesn't build an organization. So totally. we're talking a little bit about the mindset really here, right? Mm -hmm. 
Very much. It's about the, not just the mindset of the individual who's selling, but the mindset of the company. How seriously do you take this role and how much do you respect making this role successful? Well, how about the mindset of let's change our perspective from the point of we don't want to hire 10 to keep five. The reality is unless you're going to invest in the systems and the people to help them out, like be it RevOps, sales enablement, and unless you're going to get yourself out of those biases in terms of filling out the team, you're never going to break that pattern. So if you actually care about that, if you actually say, hey, I want to stop burning and churning my stop team. Stop the madness. <laughs> it is. It's like, it really is insane. And it drives me nuts that I'm not actually as bothered by the fact that people do it. I'm more bothered by the fact that we have so many leaders, so many investors who just kind of go, yeah, that's normal. Yeah, it's just the way it is. That's yeah. the way things work. It doesn't have to be. We see so many great performing sales teams that don't have that. We know there's a better way to do it. And we just, more of us have to figure it out. And by the way, those are usually the ones that are kicking your butt. They're just oh, totally. cranking. They're blowing away their numbers month over month because they don't fall into that same mindset. They're divergent. They look at it from a more of a rebellious approach to it. Positioning is a key element to consider when you're going to hire anybody, meaning mm -hmm how they're positioned, where they feel comfortable, what their pain point is, and not only that, where they envision themselves being successful. Some people do really well in an environment where they have lots of resources like sales enablement. There are others that are scrappy that are like, hey, look at, I do great in a startup, but you put layers around me and I'm gonna go. It's funny because really it's us, it's recruiters, it's networkers, it's leaders who are trying to connect people and jobs. And we do this badly in that we often paint a company or a role with a single brush. You know, we say, oh, you'd be really great as a sales engineer. You'd be really good as an account manager. And companies are so different. You could thrive in the same role in a different company and fail in the same role at a vastly different company. And it is such a big difference. A lot of folks who are like us, we're on podcasts, we're networking, we're introducing people. We tend to oversimplify and that gives everybody permission to not pay attention to those things candidates have to do a better job of vetting companies stage selling culture go to market strategy the customers they sell we need to empower the reps more in that selection process well with salespeople though we're easy to sell the problem is you get somebody who's really excited who's selling you on a job and we don't really think to express what it is that we want it's kind of like hey i've got this great opportunity and you get all excited about it and salespeople get really animated and so then you end up going oh my god like i, I gotta be part of this so you buy into it much quicker. And then once you get in there, you're like, oh, crap, what did I get myself into? <laughs> they, that, that this sense is of like, not at all what I thought it was going to be. That doubt, that uncertainty, it always, it always sets in. We should riff on that a little bit. Uh, I mean, I've got opinions and a hot take on this. But if you're chatting with uh, a sales professional or aspiring sales professional who's tuning in, how do you think about helping them target the right companies. Like I said, I've got lots well, of I think it's critical. This, but, I think yeah. it's critical because most people have a vision of where they want to be, how they see their career growing. They have an idea of the type of environment they do well in. If they don't, they need to go meditate on it and figure it out or do something. But I talk to people all the time and we talk about, okay, what is it that you really want? What is the environment that you feel like you're going to really thrive in? And when you start getting into that conversation, that's going to either going to draw somebody into your organization because they fit or not. But it saves, as a company, it saves you so much time because you're not chasing somebody who's out of Google or Facebook, who's really somebody who does well in a large organization for your startup. And that happens all the time. Then they sell them, they, they get on board, and then they fail. 
So we set a lot of people up for failure, but not understanding. I think it's not just about missing the understanding, but it's also giving people permission to be honest. Wait, when we ask somebody, hey, what kind of an organization do you see yourself at? There's almost this unspoken social contract that we want them to say our type of organization. And giving people room to ask and really honestly answer, you know, where do they excel? One of the things that we see really well in our programs is getting professionals to reflect on where do they do their best work? Do they do really good work when they have kind of vague direction and they're left to their own devices to figure it out and get evaluated on the outcome? Or do they do their best work when they're given really good criteria for success and the opportunity to just crank it? And if you're really careful to try and present those options, not as a better and a worse, but just two different styles, you get much better insights. And then people really help identify, hey, I'd actually work better at an earlier stage company, or hey, I'd work better at a later stage company. But people are afraid to say that because they think they're being judged. And we need to give people a safe space to actually think and reflect on where they excel. And that's how you, you shift to the mindset and, and how you treat your people too. We go in selling right off the bat. If you think about it, when you're recruiting somebody, you start telling them all these wonderful things about your company before you even find out anything about them. So if you just flip that script around, that'll change a lot. I think a large part of it is if you're recruiting, also being honest about the not so good parts about the role you might have. Let's talk about the things that are potential warts right up front and get them out of the way. Yeah, that's, everybody that's knows that your you. company is probably a hot mess. Yeah. <laughs> totally. totally. <laughs> and that's okay. There's nothing worse than blindsiding somebody that or give them a lowdown of what your cultural values are and you go on this whole spiel about how you live them and then somebody comes on board and you never hear anything about it. It's so funny because it's so true. And I think companies miss the easy opportunities to, if you're a sales team, there's a couple of easy wins on this one. Like you probably already send out emails to the team saying, hey, great job on this deal. Or, hey, here's this new quota that we hit. Like you're already recognizing your team, but use those opportunities to talk about your values. And wow, you're going to give people so much more power. Oh, and so true. So very yeah, true. Companies miss those easy opportunities. They do. They do. Well, that's because we get caught up in the work, but that's not an excuse. Mr. and Mrs. Entrepreneur, or whoever you are. What's the last piece, the interview itself? Interviews are a power predictor of future success. Okay, I'm not going to argue that because that stuff's right. Where I take umbrage, where I really struggle, is I see sales teams. Sales teams are some of the worst about this, saying we're going to do a culture fit interview. And it effectively turns out to like, hey, do I want to have a beer with this person? And it's a terrible way or to assess Or can they play foosball? Yeah, yeah. Like, it's just, it's terrible. Let's forget all the stereotypes that it propagates. The reality is, and it cracks me up because as sales professionals, we tell our teams, make sure you do your discovery questions, make sure you qualify, make sure it's the right fit. And then we turn around and we do this joke of a culture fit interview. It's like, did, <laughs> did we just forget what we're saying? Like, yeah. come on. That's so very true. Look, it is a qualification process. If you are focusing on whether or not I want to have a beer with the person, that's not necessarily in any way servicing the organization. You have to think about you're hiring for the business first. That's the most important entity. And your ego lasts. Totally. People ask me, then, like, how do you solve this? You know, what do you actually do? And I mean, this is not, I didn't invent this. This is all really good research and best practices. You know, Rick, I'm sure this is a lot of what, what you espouse too. But that idea of making sure you're clearly articulating what are the cultural values that are really important. It, candidly, in a large organization, the company values and the sales team values may start to deviate and that's okay. But you think about what's important, those values, you translate those into the behaviors that demonstrate those values and they ask questions about 
when have they demonstrated those behaviors? Again, like it's not rocket science, but you draw that clear line and you've got your interview questions. It's really simple. You do have to be a little tricky about it. You can't just say, hey, when in your career have you demonstrated X, right? Because what ends up happening is then people start tailing their answers to that. I'm a big proponent of behavioral interview questions because I think they give evidence, which most interview questions don't. You might have a value of customer first. You're going to disguise the question as, you know, walk me through a time you had a really difficult customer, right? That's a really common one. Amazon question, you know, like everybody asks that, anybody who's customer service. But you gain so much data out of there, and then you're tying in measurables to those values. Does this person really live this? When you're digging deeper under the hood, and that data is so invaluable, but we don't dig for it. But you're right. It's qualifying. You're absolutely bang on in terms of you don't ask it straightforward it's like the one that we use you know, we talk about one of our values being honesty it would be a terrible interview question to say hey tell me about a time you demonstrated honesty <laughs> yeah talk about leading the so witness. i would flip that and i'd say walk me through a time somebody asked you to lie yeah. that's it and because we've all no, been asked to lie it's like what are the behaviors that demonstrate honesty it's like hey if someone refused to lie in that organization that's a good demonstration if somebody had to give an uncomfortable truth to a supervisor, that's a good example. And you look and you ask them to tell you about those examples. It's an easy exercise. People just don't put in the time and the energy. Yeah. Well, again, we're not trained on it. I talked to a room of 400 executives one time and I said, raise your hand if you've ever been formally trained on interviewing other than what you can't say. And three people raised yeah. their hand, three. I talk to people all the time, how much interview training have you had? And virtually everyone says, none. <laughs> Does Burger King count? <laughs> <laughs> it's such an embarrassment because we talk about, we need to be really, really good at selling. We've got to be really good at building product. We've got to be really good at running a company. But at the end of the day, if you're in a high growth company, you also have to be really good at growing, which means if you're interviewing, your recruiting process isn't one of your core competencies, you're screwed. So I am so glad you said that. You are so spot on. All right, shoot, we're getting pretty close on time. Uh, Joseph, what would be two or three key takeaways that you can give the audience that can plug it into the business today? So the first thing, what we talked about earlier, throw out the job description. If you're just copying others, you're propagating bad behaviors. So that's the first one. Second thing I would point to is through all of your interviewing, all of the hiring, uh, this is for the early stage ones, especially stop trying to hire people and tell them to sell like the founders. It's not going to work. You got to design your interview process to actually fit. I got to hammer home the behavioral questions. You know, ditch the culture fit interview, recraft questions and be really intentional and deliberate because that's how you'll win. I couldn't agree with you more. Can I add one more? Absolutely. Hire slow, fire slower. Oh, totally agreed. If yes. you really take the time, if we really do hire slow, we have a lot less fires. And that's really what it means. For the early stage people, especially as much as your reps, your people you're hiring are figuring you out, you're figuring out what you're doing. So you can't put all the blame on them. You gotta hire slow. Oh, it's and all fire on you. Slower. It's all on you. You make it, there's a bad hire. That's on you. 100%. Joseph, thanks so much for your time investment today. And I want to welcome you to the Higher Power Radio community. Now, what would be the best way in which the members of our audience can find you, your companies? How can we reach you? Yeah, I can reach me and the company at uvaro.com, U-V-A-R-O.com. And I'm on most social platforms, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram at Joseph Fung. All jammed together. One word. Hit me up. 
That is so perfect. Thanks so much. All right. I want to thank our listening audience for tuning in to this week's episode of Higher Power. Quick thanks to our team, Brian Colburn, Andrea Ballin, and Ayla Gerard. If you're listening to the podcast, please subscribe, review, and share after all this podcast is for you. And we just want to help you to build a fantastic, outstanding organization. You can join the Higher Power Radio community at Higher, H-I-R-E, Power, P-O-W-E-R, Radio, R-A-D-I-O dot com. You can drop me an email at rickatstridesearch.com. Tune in next Tuesday. Our guest is going to be Andrew Bartlow. He is the founder and managing partner of Series B Consulting. I'm your host, Rick Gerard, and you have been listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. Aloha. Thank you for listening to Higher Power Radio. Catch our LinkedIn Live Show every Tuesday at noon or download the podcast on iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, or your favorite podcast platform. We appreciate you joining us on Higher Power Radio with your guide to hiring success, Rick Gerard.